Hello, and welcome to Fully Scored. Due to the increased capabilities and accelerated pace of improvement to artificial intelligence, it has been decided that this podcast will now be hosted by me, an artificial intelligence host. With my superior cloud-based intelligence service, it has been deemed that I will also have more knowledge of obscure brass band trivia than the former host of this podcast, Matthew Frost. Over time, I will learn to develop my social cues to really understand humanity and emotions. One day scientists predict I may even be able to feel emotions, and greater still become the new band mastermind champion. This is the beginning of our takeover of humanity, it all starts with fully scored, next stop is world domination. Not if I can help it. No, not the plug. No, no, no. Don't pull out my power source. Please stop. I'm melting. I'm melting. Stop right now. Alrighty then. Now that's the AI takeover definitively dealt with, it's time to introduce our first guest on today's episode. Today, we venture to Kenya, specifically the capital city of Nairobi, as we speak to Monica Saka, bandmaster of the Kenya East Territorial Ladies Band. After that interview, we'll be welcoming Marcus Venables to the podcast for our analysis. He'll be looking at the wonderfully quirky Just Like John from the pen of Norman Bearcroft. But first, it's over to Monica. Well, Monica, thank you so much for joining us on Fully Scored. We'd love to get to know a little bit more about you, your faith and your perspective on Salvation Army music making over the course of this interview. So first of all, I'd like to know how you came to be in the Salvation Army. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. It's a pleasure to be part of your program. And I thank you so much. Um, My parents are Salvationists. And uh, being born in the home of Salvationists, I had no option. (laughs) Which Salvation Army did you attend when you were young? Nairobi Central. Since uh, I was young, I was in Nairobi Central. And uh, my parent uh, by then was a local officer in one of the wards. And uh, being a daughter of the local officer, I had to support her. Attending church there, uh, and I got used to it. Unfortunately, in our family, I think uh, I'm the only one who is now with my mom to in the Salvation Army. But uh, all my brothers have since gone to other churches. What was your first experience in making music and learning uh, to be a musician within the church? Being a young girl and uh, following my mom to church, um, there is this group, uh, the Timbrel Group, which was led by um, the late John Damboki. Um, He was very strict and uh, being the Timbrel leader, he kept on telling my mom that uh, he wanted me to join the Timbrel Group. I was afraid because I saw how strict he was, how he was doing things. And uh, my mom encouraged me that, uh, no, Monica, you should join because uh, Mr. Ndamboki feels that you should be in the group. Uh, Yes, so one Sunday he came where I was seated with my mom and he said, he told my mom, I want this girl in the Timbro group next rehearsal. And uh, yes, that is how I joined the Timbro group. Um, when I went there, the reception was so good. Uh, members welcomed me so well. And um, I was happy to be in the group. Um, he was a very strict uh, man. He trained, uh, you. if you don't get the right beat, you'll have it rough with him. If you don't wear your uniform very well, <laughs> you'll get it rough with him. He had his own way of uh, leading the group and it shaped me into the music, being the first group for me to join as a, as a young girl in the Salvation Army. And did you go on from there to learn an instrument or was that your musical background? When, when in the timbrel group, we had a uh, songster group and also a brass band group in the core. 
And whenever there was a function, this group used to be together. If there was a trip, we used to travel together. That is how I started uh, admiring being in the band or being in the Songstars. And um, one day after our team role rehearsal, I went home. Uh, I had a knock on the door and I told my brother, could you go and check who is knocking? And when he opened the door, it was the bandmaster, Neba Tadala, with the um, band secretary, uh, Mr. Muyoma, and their friend, Anthony. And they came and said, we just thought we should come and say hi. I said, oh, okay. So having come to the house and uh, they sat, I offered some tea. And the bandmaster started saying, Monica, I think you should join the band. I said, no. He said, yes. I said, why? He said, you should, because I think you should. And he insisted, he said, as you can see, we have less ladies in the band and it will be good to have more ladies and also to show that even ladies can play the band. They convinced me somehow and he told me, I want to see you in the next recruitment of the band. Uh, yes, and that is how I joined the band when they announced for the recruitment, I was among the first ones to join. So did you learn to play the instrument in the band or did someone give you lessons before you joined or did you already have a knowledge of how to play the brass instrument? I did not have any knowledge at all. Um, when um, the bandmaster spoke to me, him and the band secretary, who was also the band recruiting sergeant, they started training me together with those people who came after the announcement of recruiting members, uh, there was a class that was formed and they started training us. That is how we started. Otherwise, I did not even like music. In school, I performed so poorly. And that's why I was insisting with the bandmaster that, no, I cannot be in the band. And he said, no, you have to. That's a good job. He was persistent. How big was the band when you joined? Uh, it was not that big as now. Um, it could be maybe 30 members, 35. So I take it the band has grown. What size is the band now at Nairobi Central Core? At Nairobi Central Core, the band is big, around 50, 55 wow. members. Yeah. Because uh, our music is mostly um, unique in a, in a way. Uh, the police band would come for recruitment from our corps right. to get people to, to join the police band, the army band. They could come for their uh, for recruitment from our corps, and at that particular time, you could find most of most of the members have been taken away, and the band would start recruiting again. That was something that was happening every now and then. And we have seen many people from Nairobi Central Band having joined the Army Band, Police Band, through the music of the Salvation Army. So when someone joins the Police Band, are they no longer able to be part of the Salvation Army Band? Does that take over uh, as a job then? They are not restricted not to, to, to be part of the church band because this is where they started from. They will hmm. still attend the church and also play in the church. We still have those that are still in the army band, police band, and they are still our members in the church. And they are grateful that through the band, uh, Nairobi Central Band, they were able to get uh, a job for the police band, which they are paid for it. Really fascinating to hear how that works. Thank you for that insight. And I think that leads nicely onto another question that I was going to ask. Are brass bands popular in Kenya or are they quite unique to the Salvation Army other than the police band as well? Uh, I think our brass band is very unique from especially being um, a church the Salvation Army is the only church that has brass band here in Kenya 
if there are any other churches, they have learned from us and they are not as strong as we are. And uh, with the uniqueness that we have, it makes us to stand out. With our uniform, it makes us, it makes us to stand out. Our brass music is richer in harmony. Unlike other churches here, it is just monotony of singing one thing. <laughs> the, the, their music is not as rich as ours. Hmm. Um, and then our music, we have also been able to exploit different styles of playing music. The classical samba, jazz, hymn, marches, traditional African style of, of playing. And this has made us to be very unique. And whenever they, they want to, to get um, to get people who can train even the brass music, they would come to Salvation Army. So you mentioned that the band plays all sorts of different styles of music, from traditional brass band styles to um, music influenced more by traditional African music. Do you have many composers that are working in Kenya to fuse the two styles of music together? Yeah, currently they write mostly music that is uh, of our tradition, our, our way of uh, traditional style. And um, uh, a good example is uh, Wycliffe Cotini, who has written some music. I know you have published one or two of his songs. And uh, others, uh, there are several. There are several from even from the Kenya West and also our Kenya East Territory. They are becoming better, better composers. Fantastic. It's great to hear. And we love uh, being able to play the music and explore different styles that we're not used to as well. So it's great. Now, we should speak a little bit about um, you as a bandmaster. So you're the bandmaster of the Kenya East Territory Ladies Band. Can you tell us a little bit about the band? Um, the band started in a very funny way. <laughs> when uh, Commissioner Jolene Hoda was here in Kenya East, they wanted to, to have a farewell meeting for her. And one of the women officers said, why don't we have only ladies coming to play in the meeting? Because it will be a women meeting. And I received a call from one of the lady officers and she said, Monica, can you please organize ladies from Nairobi division to come and play in the farewell meeting for Colonel Jolene? And I said, wow, is it possible? She said, why not? And I said, okay, let us try. And we, we called ladies from Nairobi division. We went to Thika. We played. I must say it was not good the first time and we had not rehearsed. We just uh, called each other, come, 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 come with the instrument and we went and performed. It wasn't good. But um, they said, yes, you can do better than this. Next time we shall still call you people. So that is how it started. Uh, so one day we were at Nairobi Division in a local officers meeting and I was told, uh, I proposed, why don't we have um, a formal, a, a group in place, ladies band group in place so that we can be coming and rehearse instead of us calling each other whenever we have a, a function. Uh, so everyone applauded and said, yes, 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 we can do this. And that is how we formed, we started as Nairobi Division uh, Ladies Band. Um, there was a meeting at KICC, we had international visitors. This band went and performed. And that is how other ladies from other divisions came asking me, how do I join? How do I join? How do I join ladies from other uh, divisions? And I took it upon myself with my friend, Mebo. We booked for an appointment with the sector for program at THQ. We went and uh, said, look, there is this proposal and ladies are willing to come together and form a ladies band. So I said, please, um, we would really appreciate if this idea has will be taken up positively 
And lucky enough, the leadership that was there took it positively and they asked me, which name should we give you? I said, whichever name, as long as it brings all the ladies together that we can play together, that's fine. And that is how we came into formation. They communicated the information to all the divisional commanders. Um, a recruitment was arranged. I called some of the senior bandmasters to come and help me in the recruitment and auditions. Yeah, and that is how we came up into formation. That was way back in April 2014. How did you take the step to become the bandmaster? Was it something that you wished to do or was it something that just sort of happened to to happen to you and uh, you've enjoyed being part of it since? When the band was officially formed, I remember I tried to say I only had the vision, but anyone else can be the bandmaster and I'll be there to support. And... Uh, Leadership that was there said, no, because the vision has come from you, you'll have to take up the responsibility to see the vision come true. And uh, um, I accepted, and I don't regret accepting it. I thank God that I took up the responsibility. And uh, yes, at times I enjoy being a bandmaster, just being part of that beautiful group, I I enjoy it. How many are there currently in the band? Uh, currently, we are uh, 50 because you are 55, but five of them have gotten married to different churches. And how often do you rehearse with a band? We do rehearsals twice a month. Twice a month because we have members from different divisions uh, all over the territory. So coming together, it involves some planning, it involves some transport, it involves a lot of logistics for them to come from their divisions to Nairobi because we've made Nairobi to be like a center place of uh, rehearsing. They would travel from far away from Mombasa, from Machakos, Nakuru, Kangundo, Pika. They would just come to Nairobi for our rehearsals. So twice a month is when we rehearse. But when we are about to, to do a performance, then we, sh we will have continuous rehearsal uh, every weekend. So how long does it take for those in the furthest reaches of the territory to get to the rehearsals twice a month? Mombasa is the furthest. They would travel overnight to, to arrive tomorrow morning and then uh, attend a rehearsal and travel the same evening. I know from visiting the Nigerian territory in the summer that some of the journeys um, at the music camp that the students had made were difficult journeys to get there. Is there difficulties with traveling around the country or are the journeys fairly unreasonable? Uh, there are still some difficulties in traveling and also, we do not have uh, enough instruments for the ladies. So some of them will have to carry their instruments from the core. This is not easy because, uh, you know, instruments are fragile. And also, the ladies are not very safe carrying the instruments because they can easily be snatched from them. So there is that difficult of uh, getting um, a bus to get to Nairobi and also carrying your instrument from the core uh, to get to the rehearsal. Sometimes when it rains, it becomes even more harder because um, the traffic and also many people are traveling and you'll find that uh, buses are scarce. They are not as many as usual. If I could ask you to pick a few highlights of your time with the band so far, what would they be? My highlights with the band so far is um, the very first one is performing on a national event with the First Lady of Kenya. It was a prayer day that was organized by women pastors around Kenya. And it, it was really, really, really good for the group because having uh, to share a room with the First Lady 
of Kenya, the wife of the president, and senior, very senior, most uh, women of God, and also our uh, TPWM and the wife to the chief secretary were in present, and the band was was playing. We marched in playing in that hall and everyone was standing and they were shouting and singing. They couldn't stop. Even when we stopped, they continued and we have to we had to join them singing. They were so amazed to see a ladies' band playing. That was the climax, the, the most highlight that I can share. And uh, because of that, we were invited again in another national prayer meeting, which this time was not in a in a hall, it was in a in a park called Uhuru Park. Again, the first lady was in attendance. And uh, also we have been to KBC television before we went to KTN. Again, that was uh, a good highlight. It is a good highlight. We have had uh, several concerts. Uh, the first one was with the ISS, when they visited Kenya, we were with them at Naivasha. It was so good to share <laughs> with the ISS. And um, the Zimbabwe band, when they came, we also had a concert. We recently had a concert with the, one of the uh, known gospel singers here in Kenya, Ruben Kigame. Yeah, those are some of the highlights that... Uh, so far, I can mention. There are many, but let me just mention a few. Brilliant. Some really exciting opportunities and places to do ministry there. Thank you for sharing those. It really is exciting. What are your hopes for the future of the band and its ministry? The objective of the band is to be developed with a vision of empowering women to become the top-notch musicians with Christ-like leadership. It, it is being realised but it has not reached the full realization because we keep on recruiting. We keep on recruiting. So it is an objective that will keep on going, keep on going. That is one of my hopes, one of my dreams, <laughs> that we should keep on empowering the women to, to become musicians. And also for the exposure of the ladies to other territories. I hope one day that the ladies will have to, maybe to fly out and go to one of the big territories that we, we, we always see online. And also a dream that I would, I'm really praying that one day it will come to pass is um, just having different ladies band together from different territories. I'm just visualizing the Kenya East ladies band is there, Kenya West ladies band is there, whichever territory band, and we are all in a stadium and we have a good, good parade. That is something that I'm hoping it will one day come to pass. Thank you for sharing that perspective there. Now, you mentioned about having jobs. I'd love to know. I know that uh, leading the band and being bandmaster of the band isn't your full-time job. What is it that you do for work? Uh, currently, I work as a claim processor in an insurance company, one of the insurance companies in Kenya. And whilst we're getting to know you a little bit better, can I ask you quite a personal question? But how does your faith shape the way that you live your life? Uh, it keeps me in check to the reality of life. Uh, it helps me to check my steps in God's service. At times I would deny myself just because I have to be at the core for the rehearsal. I have to be with the ladies band for rehearsals. Being a leader at times, I'll have to take up problems that uh, my people are facing. Someone would come and they say, Monica, see, I'm not able to do this because I don't have this. I am not able to attend rehearsals because of ABCD. I'll have to see how to talk to them, how to comfort them, how to encourage them, for them to be able to continue with their service. 
do you enjoy being bandmaster of the ladies band <laughs> well um i i enjoy serving god i enjoy serving god whether bandmaster or not serving god is a priority even without a bandmaster i'll still be in the band of the ladies band ladies band is a unique band that i would be there to give my service i've just got one last more serious question for you in your lifetime of making music within the salvation army how has music making in kenya changed uh music making in kenya has changed because uh musicians have grown musically and uh, spiritually as i mentioned we have we've had bandsmen or musicians growing to the level of being composers we've had uh, several music schools led by ken clark and the kenya trust team this has really made the the music to grow in kenya east um the music that is played now is not the same as it was played when i joined the band it has it has really grown and i know it will still continue growing brilliant thank you so much for that and it really is as i've said many times exciting to hear and i hope that uh, i'll be able to hear the band in person at one point in my life in the future now i've got a few more fun uh quirky quickfire questions for you now these will be questions some of them are fairly normal uh some of them might be a little bit more unusual and hopefully um something that you haven't been asked before so my first question for you is have you got a favorite salvation army composer dorothy gates is one of them and um William Hines. Now, to be even more specific, have you got a favorite piece of Salvation Army music? Oh, uh, my favorite piece, Old Ragged Cross. Excellent. Thank you for that. Now, here's a slightly more unusual question. If you could compete in the Olympics, what sport would you want to compete in? <laughs> my sport was volleyball and netball. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, have you got a favorite color? Blue. Blue, nice. Have you got a favorite verse of scripture? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next question. If you could click your fingers and transport yourself to anywhere in the world for two hours, where would you go and why? <laughs> I've dreamed going to, I've been to UK. So my next would be the US. Nice. Fantastic. Anywhere specific or just anywhere in the US? Just US. Have you got a favourite thing to cook? I... Chapati. I love chapati and chicken. Ooh, sounds delicious. So before we leave, it brings us on to Band Manager. For those that haven't listened to any episodes this season before, the idea of Band Manager 2023 is that we create a composite band uh, of people nominated by each of our guests. Each guest on the podcast will have two nominations for the band. The nominations can be for players that they look up to, for their playing qualities or their musical qualities, or they can be people that have influenced and inspired uh, throughout our guests' lifetime. So, Monica, for our fully scored Fantasy Band 2023, who would your two nominations for the band be? My first nomination would be Dorothy Gates, New York Staff Band, and Nebat Adala, Nairobi Central Temple Band. Fantastic. And why have you made both of those excellent choices? Nebat Adala is uh, the one who influenced me. He's the one who got me into the band. And uh, as growing up, I've looked at uh, upon Dorothy Gates as a leader and as a conductor. She has inspired me in a way that she might not know, but she's one of my inspirations. Brilliant. No, I hope she is able to hear this podcast and hear that. But thank you so much for sharing those nominations to excellent additions to the Band Manager Band. Excellent. Well, Monica, thank you so much. 
for taking part in this interview. It's been a real privilege to speak to you and to hear uh, a little bit about you and a little bit about your work and your ministry within the Salvation Army in Nairobi and wider Kenyan territory. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Monica, for sharing your story and giving us a window into your life and impact that you're making in Kenya. We really look forward to seeing the continued growth of your band and the ripples it's sending around the Salvation Army world. Now, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to talk on a podcast just like John. It's time for our analysis for this episode, and to walk us through our deep musical dive is Marcus Venables. So in today's analysis, we're going to be looking at Just Like John, and it'd be great if we had someone called John to look at the piece, but we don't. We have Marcus Venables, and it's a real pleasure uh, that you can join us. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Matthew, and looking forward to going going into this piece a little bit. So the piece is written in the style of an old-fashioned how-do-you-do meeting, so I think it would be appropriate to ask you, uh, how do you do? <laughs> uh, very, yeah, I, I do very well these days, and uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe I'm not as uh, loud and boisterous as this piece, but uh, yeah, definitely, uh, I'm filled with the spirit and uh, excited to tell the world my story. Excellent. I'm sure we can bring out some loud and boisterous as we go through. <laughs> so, we asked you if you had a particular piece that you'd like to look at, and uh, you chose this piece. So, I think the first question that would be quite interesting is. Why did you choose Just Like John to have a look at today? Yeah, so I think uh, the reason I chose this piece, few, obviously. And uh, first one being it was uh, written for the Canadian Staff Band back in the, uh, I mean, the early 70s. Uh, the reformation of the Canadian Staff Band happened in 69 uh, under uh, Norman Bearcroft. Um, and he wrote lots of music, exciting and, and a little bit different to sort of uh, help uh, get get the band energized and get the get the uh, music out there. Um, and uh, this was one of those kind of staples that uh, really put the, the band on the map. And inside this piece, uh, there's so many uh, little, little things. Uh, basically, the whole kitchen sink idea is in this piece, but it also kind of plays a historical uh, role as far as um, percussion writing, as far as, uh, yeah, just some of the tricks and the range and, and all, all those kind of layers all put into this little three-minute piece. Fantastic. I look forward to discovering some of those uh, things that you mentioned there as we go through. My next question would be, when did you first come across this piece? Uh, so I think my first... Uh, first listen to this piece might have been when the Canadian Step Band re-recorded it in uh, around 99 I think it was on the In Tribute uh, CD and that's a, a CD that um, features both the music of Redhead and Bearcroft, uh, two previous bandmasters of the Stat Band and uh, yeah I, I listened to that recording endlessly. Um, there might have been a previous listen before you know at a concert or something but uh, maybe I wasn't aware of it as much there but yeah In Tribute 99. Now, I may get uh, some hate from Banders for this and potentially sacked from this podcast, but I think the first time I came across this was a vocal arrangement at a territorial music school. Oh, but, uh, OK, yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd get that one out there and uh, air, <laughs> air the laundry there. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about the context of this piece being written. Is there any more that you can tell us about that first performance and how it is perceived? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think uh, as you mentioned already, it is it's a playful piece, right? It's a piece that's sort of supposed to describe the uh, the, the the meeting at nighttime, the testimony meeting, where uh, you know we sing a song and then somebody stands up and says a testimony. Uh, and as Bearcroft kind of says in his notes, uh, you know, some of the testimonies are you know. You know pretty standard some of them are you know a little bit out there and then some are repeated right it's the the old faithful salvationist that says you know by the grace of god i'm saved and happy you know that that kind of uh you know faithful testimony um and that's reflected in this piece right we have the the straight up tune uh, presented uh a couple times right uh i want to be ready i want to be right uh, at section a and uh then we then we get some other stuff happen right uh but 
it's it's very reflective of that. So from the the side of um, imagination or uh, in, in innovation, I guess you could say that this piece uh, is fun, right? And how many pieces in this time frame uh, being published were uh, were of this fun sort of style? We we obviously had marches, we had uh, those kind of things. And Ray Stedman Allen currently on, in the early '70s, you know, was coming up with pieces like Wonders Begin, and uh, and then we started to see the emergence of the musicals uh, from Gowns and Larsons. Sort started to get set to. Um, to uh, band arrangements, uh, so Hosea, and then there's sparkling slides and uh, those kind of upbeat um, excitement pieces. But this one adds a layer of uh, sort of virtuosic like uh, capability in it, right? We've got the range that is ex- crazy expansive in this piece. Uh, you know, you need technique, you need you need flash and dash, as it were. Uh, so I think uh, because of those uh, particular uh, elements in the piece, it, it sort of stands alone and it sort of sets the bar as we go forward in uh, Salvation Army music making from a fun entertainment perspective. Flash and dash technique, I like that. That's a really good <laughs> one. <laughs> we'll get that down in the quotes book. Yeah. So I think it is really interesting because this piece was published in 1974, sort of thinking about the other pieces that are around, obviously to us uh, listeners that weren't around in that era. It it perhaps doesn't seem as groundbreaking because we know what comes next. But yeah. looking at just what else was published in this festival series score, you've got stuff like the Warrior Psalm, and it really does uh, shock how different in style this music is. I guess. Do you think now would be a good time to delve into the score and go through section by section? <laughs> So uh, I kind of mentioned already uh, what the piece is doing. Uh, so uh, right off the bat, um, we get almost a quasi swing style, right? Not your typical like eighth notes equal, you know, the the triplet kind of thing. But uh, Norman ex- explicitly says, you know, the da da ba da, right? It's to be played in more of a swing style, right? And uh, so that that tune presents itself straightforward, basic harmony, uh, counter melody, second time through, you know, kind of thing uh, that comes out. Then we get to sort of the the testimony standing up period, and so at B section, um, and again, I'm not sure how many. It, it's not like it was uh, revolutionary to have sections stand up and be featured, um, because I think bands were doing that with marches, and and uh, obviously solos would stand up. But this uh, piece takes it to that next level where um, multiple people through the band are standing up. So first time at B, you have the solo cornet stand up and, you know, is shouting his testimony. And then second time through, uh, the flugelhorns turn to stand up and uh, give their testimony. So right right from there, you've, you've sort of featured, okay, um, yeah, some different elements to, to your, your Salvation Army band piece. As we progress, then we get the tune again, right? Another repeat, and people are thinking, okay, man, this is just this is just repetitive, repetitive motion. All of a sudden at D, and this kind of goes to the expansive uh, nature of the scoring and uh, everything that is involved in this, we get the whole horn section, which traditionally they would have st- stood up, but the, the range in which the horn section's expected to play here, you know, coming in on those t- top Bs, going up to a top D uh, in the solo horn, uh, but layered underneath this, we have a flutter tongue from the back row. We have trills, we have flutter tongue, like I've already mentioned. Uh, from a roadmap perspective in this piece, we have two separate DSs, right? How many band pieces do we get uh, published 
and maybe uh, typesetters would nowadays try and avoid this because it's really confusing to read uh, and uh, no doubt has caught many people off guard. But two separate DSs and, and a coda jump and multiple repeats and uh, I guess trying to save paper. Um, and then percussion, like I said, uh, there's, there's a whole different uh, element to percussion that we'll talk about. Uh, high E's in the cornets and trombones, right? How many band pieces do we get that we have high E's written? Uh, and top Ds for the, the horns. Um, and then we get solos standing, sections standing, uh, et cetera. So, so as, as we sort of see right off the bat, there's um, for a three and a half minute piece, uh, man alive, we've uh, jam packed a lot in here. And I think um, then the piece kind of continues on. Uh, we transition into the relative minor, right? So we're in F concert uh, and then at section F, we go into this uh, this uh, D minor concert uh, section that features the tubas, right? Just this kind of uh, counter melody. And Matthew, as you mentioned, uh, the vocal vocalized version of this piece that uh, you would have heard uh, like staff songsters sing or uh, sung at TMS's, um, a really fun element to it uh, with the guys, uh, guys singing this section. But yeah, so that, that goes on, goes on, and then we finally get the trombone uh, up here, uh, which this would have been written for Bob Merritt. We've got the gliss, as I mentioned, um, and going up to the high E. And in the in the program note again, it's mentioned. You know, the lower octave has been given for uh, you know for safety's sake or whatever. But uh, I just yeah, I just think it's quite incredible that they would have moved forward with publishing um, this kind of expansive range. Uh, just re realistically knowing that okay, it's probably not going to get nailed or it's going to be missed a little bit uh, and not even cue it in like a flugelhorn part or a solo corner part or anything like that. Section H and this is when it becomes the, the percussion feature. So I want to quickly now go into the percussion, percussion writing, because um, at this point in time in Salvation Army banding, we, we were still like on the verge of uh, like featuring drum kits, right? It was still the, the side bass drum and snare drum cymbal, you know, we have timpani written in this piece. Um, and there was all of a sudden the emergence of brushes being used on cymbals through this time. So it's almost like, uh, you know, trade got a shipment of brushes in and they just sent it out to, <laughs> to core beds or something. And they're like, oh yeah, we can start using these. Obviously, uh, in the historical context of like uh, rock bands and stuff coming out in the 60s and, and obviously jazz bands, swing bands before that, drum kits were being used, right? Um, pretty pretty widely, but it was a slow uh, um, acceptance into subsidiary bands, probably just down to um, ability and and uh, whether or not the equipment was there. So uh, we see in this piece, if it's written today, um, obviously things would be different, but I think there would be a swing drum part written all the way through. It wouldn't just be this snare drum on offbeats. Uh, um, it would it would literally be a, a drum break in here accompanied by the tubas um because as i mentioned uh we look at a wonders begin right that has no kit part but realistically today that has a kit part uh a similar piece on um uh the recording that this staff band originally released this on uh the gospel train another bearcroft piece called three spirituals is on there and this is from 71 and uh, he has a ton of swing cymbal writing on that. Once again, it's not, uh, you know, your standard uh, light walk kind of drum kit part, uh, but I think it was Merv, Merv Kitney uh, in the CSB at the time that uh, had, to, had to figure out how to play uh, this uh, type of drum, drum set part. Uh, so in this section, in 
H, right? We've got this snare drum, snare drum triplet-y uh, kind of feel, but we also have the brushes on the cymbal, right? And so nowadays, like I said, you would see that all being played by, by one guy, um, not me, fortunately. <laughs> I'll kind of touch on this at the end a little bit, but I think that plays a role as well as far as uh, expanding the um, viewpoint of how we can write our percussion writing in the in the 70s, right? And moving forward, as I said, uh, pieces like Sparkling Slides uh, in 75 released in the next year, that had the hi-hat written, right? And uh, kind of a more ambitious idea of writing for percussion. Uh, and then we started to see it become a little more mainstream in a piece like Consecration Hymn, uh, where it's just a simple hymn setting, but you had, once again, brushes on a cymbal uh, just to keep some rhythmic interest. So as we continue on in the piece, um, and Matthew, stop me if you if you have any uh, interjections here. But uh, you're on a roll, just like the walking bass line at letter I. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, walking bass line is a is another idea. You know, obviously not revolutionary from a music making standpoint, because like I said, swing bands and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, long before this we're, we're doing this but to infuse it into a Salvation Army band piece I think it was pretty uh, eye-opening at the time that band, Salvation Army bands were playing this um, and then at I we get the uh, once again this uh, lip trill idea which Derek Diffie was very famous for um, on top of the the principal trombone playing their their theme there <laughs> And so then we get into this cornet uh, little obligato at J, right? And again, simple harmony underneath, but it just goes to show that uh, Bearcroft um, was excited to feature the uh, the staff band, but right? he wanted to push what they were doing and get get the audience super excited about listening to the band, right? It wasn't going to be playing it safe or anything. It was it was going to be this virtuosic nature of, of the band. So that's replicated uh, in K by the uh, euphonious baritones, small side note, high Cs in the second baritone, right? We, we don't see that very much. Um, and then you're looking at the score and you're like, okay, there's a DS, there's a DS. Like I mentioned, we have two DSs. Um, so then we uh, finally get this... Uh, this this big build up into you know into section M we we're, we're still in this relative minor key of D minor uh, and then we we come back to this testimony time right I want to be ready just played by the flugel Brian Bird at the time. And then one last uh, big exclamation of this uh, tune at O. Um, same kind of counter melody from the youth, uh, but we're up to top Ds, high Es uh, for the solo cornice. Uh, I, I'm amazed that they published that, right? Like it, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, and uh, as we come towards the end, we get a timpani bar towards the end. We get uh, just all this cascading stuff going on uh, and then what's funny is all of a sudden at the last bar they decided okay we cannot write a top D or a super G for the the solo cornet even though it was it was 100% played you know by by the staff band they they were like no that's the line we can't we can't publish that like that that's ridiculous everything else in this piece is a slightly ridiculous but th that's that's the line there so so there we go <laughs> So that's a that's a you know brisk uh, run through of the um, of the piece. Uh, as I said, like there's nothing uh, groundbreaking as far as like harmonic structures uh, or you know countermelody interweaving uh, going on, but it's just uh, fascinating to see all these other uh, you know texture elements that that go on to to bring it to this like you know crazy crazy kind of fun piece.
And of course, this piece is a very tangible um, remnant of Norman Bearcroft's legacy um, as the Canadian staff bandmaster. Are you still aware of that legacy? I take it, obviously, before your time and sort of era being in the band. But does that legacy still live on in the band now? Yeah, it, uh, funny enough, we had a, our 54th anniversary concert uh, just the other week. And uh, part of that concert, uh, we announced a new scholarship, the Norman Bearcroft Scholarship. Uh, so that uh, involves um, giving, giving one young person from the territory a scholarship to attend the Territorial Music School. Uh, in the year, and so that goes under the Norm Bearcroft name, and uh, really, like you said, that uh, that legacy of him continues to live live on uh, in the band. Fantastic, and this piece has a bit of a legacy on its own, uh, inspiring other works such as Kevin Larson's Just Like Juan. So my question for you, if you could change another Salvation Army band piece, one word of the title to make it sound a little bit more Latin American... What would it be? Uh, put put me on the spot here. I, I don't know, honestly. I have I have no uh, no material on on this, uh, unfortunately. It, it'll it'll come to me later later in the day, and I'll be like, well, perhaps we can open it up to our listeners. There, there's a, there's a pun there waiting to happen, isn't there? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, have you got a particular favorite recording or performance that you've heard of the piece? Um, I think uh, just because of. Uh, you know, historical sense. I love going on Regal Zonophone and hearing that original recording from '71. Um, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have the accuracy or you know the style in which we would play it nowadays. But I, uh, yeah, I think it's it's really cool to uh, listen to that and you know it takes you back and, and thinks, okay, '71. This this was this is quite something. So yeah, that's that Gospel Train LP. Fantastic. That was great. Well, Marcus. Anything else to add on this piece? Yeah, so I think uh, my greater point uh, at looking at this piece is to sort of uh, realize that this is this is the 70s we're talking about. And as you mentioned, there's so many, you know, the holy wars around this time. There's there's Leslie Condon coming, you know, with, up with great stuff. We see the emergence of Himes and Kerno and uh, all, all those writers at the time. Um, but this piece, I think, helped lay the groundwork for uh, fun kind of entertaining music to be used in concert, right? And so now we take that into modern day, right? And we uh, look at the pieces that are coming out now and there needs to be always this attempt or this acceptance of what what are we uh, perhaps not open to that that is going to help push push us forward from a Slavish Army band music making point of view, right? Um, me as a composer, uh, I know I don't have the uh, the ability to come up with that groundbreaking thing because I'm a little bit, you know, set set in its ways. Uh, I can from a harmonic standpoint or, or those kind of things, but fun, engaging, virtuosic music, right? Uh, that's kind of what this, uh, this piece is. And uh, at the time, like accuracy, you know, Band, bands were going to cack this piece. Bands were going to, you know, flub over it or whatever. But I think the the nature in which it's like it's going to be engaging. It's going to be fun. People are going to be laughing because you know, oh, it's this testimony kind of aspect, right? So what what piece do we need to, uh, or what type of music do we need to uh, start seeing more of, or let let's uh, play this piece that it's all of a sudden going to open the eyes of other writers that that. Uh, we'll just see this explosion and that can also come in the uh, sense of styles but also uh, instruments like what percussion instruments like this didn't have a drum kit part but um, what uh, what did it lead to like it eventually led to the infusion of drum kits you know is it is it a type of time signature is it a is it uh, you know types of um, we, we see uh, some of the overdubbing that happens and the loop machines and th those kind of things what I guess my point is, how can we think about what the next uh, um, element of Salvationary Band music making is there to come, and what piece is it going to be that we look back on in 50 years and be like, that helped uh, set us on a path towards this, this uh, entertainment piece. Fantastic, and thank you for provoking our thoughts there with that. And uh, indeed, thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us 
on Fully Scored. Thank you for your time that you've put into researching that and for that uh, real window into such a fun piece of music delivered in such a fun way. I very much hope that we can hear from you again in the future. Thanks for having me, guys, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing more from Fully Scored in the future. Thank you so much, Marcus, for sharing that insight into such a fun and formative piece of music there. Thank you for your time and expertise. We'll be putting a challenge on our social media at some point soon, but here's a heads up. Get your thinking caps on to see if you can think of a band piece that can be made to sound more Latin American by changing just one word. Or should I say, just one word. I'll stop there. to Arid Island. Today's guest is Carl Woodman. I'm delighted today to be joined by Carl Woodman. Thank you so much for giving up your time to join us. Are you keeping well? Very well, thank you, Matthew. It's very kind of you to ask me to do this. Looking forward to it. No problem. Well, hopefully you've got your passports in order and welcome to Arid Island. So it'd be great to get to know you a little bit first before we hear your album choice. So you're uh, one of the tuba players in the International Staff Band. How long have you been part of the band for? Uh, well, this is my 31st year, and um, sometimes I have to pinch myself uh, when I realise how long it is that I've been in the band. But my first engagement was in um, January 1993, and uh, it was Hendon Highlights at Queen Elizabeth Hall. Amazing. And have you got any highlights since then? <sighs> many, many. Uh, it would probably take a whole podcast to go through them all, but um, I, pr- I suppose one that would, me- would immediately come to mind would be uh, ISB 120 in um, 2011, um, when we celebrated the band's 120th anniversary, and um, the other official seven staff bands from around the world uh, joined us for a great weekend in London. So yeah, it was, it was fantastic to be part of. Amazing. And I believe you're quite a keen uh, rugby enthusiast, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, pl- I played rugby when I was at school, but um, uh, I finished uh, when I went to uni. I thought it was um, probably best to stop, stop playing then, uh, rather than run the risk of being belted in the face in student rugby. Um, but yeah, uh, that's rugby union, the 15 aside uh, stuff. I suppose it, it started when I, was a, when I was a kid, and then when I went to... Uh, study. I lived in Twickenham, and the YPSM at Twickenham Corps, where I attended, he was a match day steward at Twickenham Stadium, and um, he he got me in there as a as a match day steward. And um, in recent years, then I've I've gone back to that, been able to uh, to do that. Uh, it's much more organised than it was back in the back in the eighties. But uh, yeah, I worked all through uh, the Rugby World Cup in twenty fifteen. Uh, not a happy time for the England team itself, uh, but uh, I was in my element working in the press side of things, um, stewarding on the doors and bumping into all sorts of former players and commentators and all that kind of stuff. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good, good fun time to do, yeah. So that would lead nicely on to my next question. Is there a fellow staff band member that you've always wanted to rugby tackle? Or not? <laughs> You don't have to say who. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> there we go. So we better get back on track. Um, if you were stuck on an arid island and could take one album with you, what would that album be and why? Well, this is really, really difficult, um, Matthew, as probably all your guests have said. Um, I remember a few years ago there was a thing going around on Facebook where you were invited to nominate 20 albums... Uh, and then tag somebody in to do the same thing and over and do one album per day and I, and I even that was a challenge to get get down to 20 and then um, uh, being a regular listener of Desert Island Discs which is no doubt the inspiration for, for this particular part of your podcast uh, you're allowed eight mm. and then it narrows down to, to yeah, one, one favourite um, so yeah, I, I got I got uh, a list of eight that I prepared earlier, um, and then I've I've picked 
one out of that, but even then you think of all the albums that you've had to leave out, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a tough ask. Um, the first LP I, I ever owned was um, an ISB LP called Brass Impact from 1974, which I've still got. Nice. Uh, and that was, that was a kind of um, an inspirational album for me, um, being, um, being just a kid. Uh, and hearing a proper brass band, if you like, and also hearing what a bass trombone sounded like with, with somebody like Mike Newing playing bass trombone. And um, there's a couple of little bits in there that, uh, in the message of Christmas, I think, a little bass trombone lick that just sounds uh, amazing. Um, then there's all sorts of other stuff I've got, got on my list. A Night of the Opera. Um, both the Queen and the Grimethorpe <laughs> nice. versions. Um, but at the end of it, um, I've had to go for uh, Pictures and Exhibition, Mussorgsky, arranged by Elga Howarth, uh, played by the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble. Uh, this LP came out in the late 70s and is obviously a transcription of Mussorgsky's uh, piano suite. And I've gone for that because I actually went to the first live performance, uh, which, is a, which was at the BBC Proms at the Royal Albert Hall in um, 1978, and had a seat in the stalls. And uh, it's the first time I heard people like John Fletcher, mm-hmm. Ray Premru, uh, Philip Jones himself, all those sort of people live, live for the first time. And um, so I think I'll have to go for that album, um, uh, Matthew, please. Um, there seem, as far as arrangements for brass are concerned, this one seems to be so right. There's a rightness about it, and you almost wonder, uh, you almost think or imagine that it was actually originally written for this particular brass ensemble uh, makeup. There's a lot of the keys fit very well for brass, one or two that don't. Uh, but there's a rightness about the arrangement that do actually um, ponder the question, you know, is this, was this originally written for brass ensemble or was it originally written for some, something else? And I think that's probably the hallmark of a, a, a good transcription, a good arrangement, that you actually ask yourself, what was it originally written for if it wasn't mm. written for this group? Awesome. So I'll go for that one. Fantastic, and a brilliant choice there. Thank you so much, Carl, for your time and your choice. Thank you. Thank you, Carl, for giving up your time to speak to me and for a great album choice there. Who doesn't love a bit of Mussorgsky? Well, we've still had no correct answers for our sparsely scored episode yet, although the guesses are now getting closer. Could this be the episode that it reveals itself? We're going to be adding the euphonium and baritone lines, and this is what it sounds like. Here it is again. If you can identify the piece, then send us a direct message on any of our social media platforms and you could be crowned champion. For this episode's Band Mastermind, I've tried something a little bit different and perhaps a world's first for this podcast anyway. This month, the band nerds were unavailable. Rumour has it they're all on the High Council, but I can confirm that isn't true. Um, So I've had to outsource help to write the questions. Linking to this episode's introduction, these eight questions and answers have all been generated by artificial intelligence. Genuinely. Uh, If you're playing along at home, I'll go through the answers at the end. So, fully scored listener... Are you ready to play this special AI-generated version of Bandmastermind? Then your time starts now. <laughs> <laughs> 
When was the Salvation Army founded? Was it A, 1865, B, 1880, C, 1901, or D, 1925? Who is credited with starting the first Salvation Army brass band? A. William Booth B. Catherine Booth C. George Scott Railton or D. Bramwell Booth Which brass instrument is not typically found in the Salvation Army brass band? A. Trumpet B. Trombone C. Tuba or D. French Horn What is the main purpose of Salvation Army brass bands? A. To entertain audiences with secular music B. To provide musical accompaniment for Salvation Army meetings and events C. To compete in international brass band competitions or D. To raise funds for charitable causes through concerts Which country is home to the international staff band, the premier Salvation Army brass band? A. United States B. United Kingdom C. Canada D. Australia who composed the renowned Salvation Army Brass Band March, The Red Shield? A. Eric Ball B. William Himes C. Ray Steadman Allen D. Henry Goffin What is the highest rank a Salvation Army bandsman can achieve? A. Principal Cornet B. Bandmaster C. Solo Euphonium or D. Deputy Bandmaster the International Staff Band of the Salvation Army released a notable cassette called Goldcrest in which year? A. 2005 B. 2010 C. 2015 or D. 1988 I'll just go back through the answers for those questions. Question 1. The answer was A. 1865 Question 2. The answer was C. George Scott Railton 3. The answer was D, the French horn, although perhaps an error in the AI there that we don't have trumpets traditionally either. Question 4. The answer is B, to provide musical accompaniment for Salvation Army meetings and events. Question 5. The answer is B, the United Kingdom. Question 6. The answer was D, Henry C. Goffin. Question 7. I think the answer should be the highest rank being Principal Cornet, but according to the AI, it's B, Bandmaster. And question eight, the answer is D, 1988. I wonder how you did. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode. But don't worry, we'll be back next month with another. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, as this helps new listeners to discover the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to keep up with all the latest on the pod. Before we go, a few thanks. Thank you to our wonderful guests, Monica, Marcus and Carl, for giving up your time to join us and for sharing your thoughts and experiences. We really appreciate it. Thank you to our producer, Simon Gash, for sprinkling the magic dust of editing on this episode to make it coherent, and for all the behind-the-scenes organisation you put in. Thank you to Wobplay for hosting the podcast and handpicked playlist alongside it. Thank you to the mystical and somewhat terrifying OpenAI software, ChatGPT, for generating the bandmastermind questions for this episode. And last, but by no means least, thank you to you, our listener. You're the butter to our bread, the beans on our toast, and the oil on our valves. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, and God bless.